we've been doing a series on Mark and we're up to Mark 15. And I really had a sense this week as I was, I was reading and pulling apart that we're going to turn it upside down. We're going to start with a conclusion. We're going to end up with the passage. So it's a little bit upside down this morning. So I really had a sense that there's three things that we need to hold on to this morning as we look at Mark 15. There's, there's three things. The first one is being captivated, being amazed at the risk and courage that Jesus had going to the cross. Mark 15 is the last day, the day that he was crucified. And the first thing is, is just to be overwhelmed in some senses of the risk and courage that he took to get there. But the second part is how different that risk and courage looks to what we think risk and courage looks like. In the same way that we've flipped the message upside down and started with the conclusion, the way that Jesus demonstrated what risk and courage looked like was very different to what we think risk and courage looks like. And the third part is that he invites us to participate in his risk and his courage. It was something that he not just did for our sake, but he did as a demonstration for us too. And there's a, there's a challenge in there for us to relook at what we see risk and courage to look like and to participate, to follow him in what risk and courage looks like. So there you go. That's the conclusion. We're all done. You know where we're landing. Risk is the potential of gaining or losing something of value. So you can see my little friend here, the mouse. What's he got to gain? Cheese. I'm looking at the size of the mouse going, there's four or five meals there. That's a lot to gain. What's he got to lose? What's the, something of value that he's got to lose? His life. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little head start. He's got a, he's got a helmet on. But you can see that the, there's a risk here. There's something to gain a value. There's something to lose a value. That's what risk is. Now, growing up, and I've shared this before, I, I wasn't much of a risk taker. And more recent, I've regretted that as a teenager, I didn't take more risk because I've had to discover as an adult what taking risk looks like. And I wish I'd discovered earlier. For me as a teenager, risk was um, joining a science club when it wasn't popular. That was my idea of risk. Uh, Or I think about as risky as I got was jamming with a friend during private study. And even in that, the teacher who came and caught us and told us off knew that I wasn't wired that way. He didn't even tell me off. He told the other guy off. So I didn't even get into trouble when, when I, you know, this massive risk that I was, I wasn't much of a risk taker. But I realize as I've gone on that there's value in risk and there's significance in risk that I didn't see as a young person. Now, I'm not suggesting teenagers go out train surfing. That's not what I'm saying, okay? There's plenty of things that you can risk. We're talking about value, yeah? The word value is in the sentence. No value in train surfing. So, uh, so just want to clarify what I'm talking about risk. Beautiful. So we've got this sense of risk. Now, I've got a video that I, um, I want to play that, uh, that looks at courage. Leads it back. Opportunity for Harvey. Goes down a war board. Look out. Oh, revolt. Remarkable. After one of the great marks, you will see that time and time again. Nick Revolt running with the flight of the football. This is a definition of courage. Courage is the ability to do something of value that frightens one's bravery or gutsy. So what do you see in that picture that might have been brave? <laughs> Playing for the wrong team? <laughs> he didn't know what was coming, but he was still committed to it, wasn't he? Why was he committed to it? What was the value? The ball? Money? Victory? Winning? Yeah. 
he was committed to something. He was prepared to step into something that was fearful, that, that had high risk, because he was after something of value. So we've got these ideas of risk and courage. Now, when we come to this, this scenario of Jesus' last day when he was getting crucified, there's a number of passages that we read about how we respond to that. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Luke 9.23 says, Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Yeah! Courageous victory. This is awesome. This is, this is a life of risk. But often we look at these verses and, and we pay lip service to them and it's quite different to the way we actually live. And we, we have this wrestle, this tension about what it looks to take risk, to, to be courageous. We started the book of Mark with this line. This is Mark's headline, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I shared in that message that this is their way of saying the amazing world-changing launch news of Josh's superhero God-man. This is what Mark was starting with. And when we look at Jesus' life as Mark has unpacked the journey of Jesus' life, we've realized that this amazing world-changing launch news of Joshua's superhero God-man isn't what we expected. It isn't what we imagine a superhero to look like. It isn't what we imagined world-changing would look like. Does anyone know where that picture's from? Beatles, well done. This is the, the mania, the hype around the Beatles. And sometimes we can approach the gospel and Jesus' life this way. There's a lot of hype, there's a lot of excitement, but the Beatles are gone. They're done. They came and they went. You look at these people there, their photos are there forever. That's, that's, that's in the media now. This is how excited they were about a band and some music. But they weren't just this superhero man god. We can get a misunderstanding of what this superhero man god actually did, what he demonstrated, what it meant to be courageous and take risk. Mark has continually painted this picture, and chapter 15 is the pinnacle of the picture that Mark's painting. It's Jesus, the servant king. Weird idea. A king that's a servant. How can that be? How can one that's given authority and power be the one that serves? How is that possible? And Mark has constantly been unpacking this. And the passion, which I didn't know this before this week, so call me weird or, or ignorant, but I didn't realize passion was referring to suffering. That's the passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. So the passion of Jesus shows us what genuine love looks like, both the price of risk and the sacrifice of courage. Jesus says in John 15, 12 to 15, my commandment is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. See the link there? Lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus is leading leading in a place of risk and courage 
in a very upside down way. He's demonstrating love, not with the power and authority that he has, but in a flipped upside down way of, of serving. And Mark 15 is the pinnacle of the demonstration of how he's leading his kingdom. Hebrews 12, the end of 1 into 3 says, this is how we should look at this gospel at Mark 15. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We look at this, this scenario in Mark 15 of Jesus' sacrifice, of his death, as inspiration, as inspiration to run the race with perseverance, to not give up, to not grow weary and lose heart. It's a weird motivational speech, but it is one. It's one that, that lets us let go of the things that hold us back and run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm just going to start a little bit in Mark 14 because um, we're going to start at midnight and work through till 3 p.m. of that final day. So starting at midnight, we heard last week that the disciples fell asleep while Jesus prayed. So that's, that's kind of kicking off the day. After midnight, Judas betrays Jesus. He's arrested and the disciples flee. About sometime before 1am, he's taken to Ananias, the, the high priest. We don't actually read that in Mark. We find that in Luke and John. 2 to 5am, Jesus is given an informal trial. The chief priests and the Sanhedrins pull him up and start talking to him. And this is where we finish Mark 14. But we've already seen at this point some of the things that Jesus has dealt with already in this last day. He's had his friends run away from him. So they started by falling asleep on him while he was praying. That's okay. We've all done that to our mates. But then they run off on him when he's arrested. They flee. He's then taken to Ananias the high priest and, and is taken to the Sanhedrin where they have this, this kangaroo court. This wasn't a proper, as, um, as Grant said last week, this wasn't a proper trial. A bit hard to have a proper trial at 2 to 5 in the morning. The Sanhedrin wasn't meant to start till nine o'clock in the morning, and but they they wanted to deal with this quickly. They've got they finally got him, and they want to deal with him. And they they've run this kangaroo court, and already those in charge, spiritually in charge, have questioned him and challenged him, saying, "You claim to be, you claim to be the Son of God. What's your answer to that?" This isn't the first time he's had conversations with these people, but this time. He stays silent. What's your response when you face injustice? Stay silent? Is that our first answer? That's unlikely. <laughs> My first response is, it's unjust. I've got to do something about it. And in this place, obedient to the Father, he sits there silent, listening to the lies that are presented before him from those who have spiritual authority over the Jewish people. His father's house, and he sits silent 
watching this injustice go by. Outside, while this is going on, one of his close disciples is claiming he doesn't even know him, which Jesus already knew was going to happen. We know that. He's inside getting accused, getting condemned, while outside his mates are denying they even know him. And then we hit the start of Mark 15, where Jesus is condemned by the whole Sanhedrin. This is the chief priests, the leaders, the the elders. Everybody in that place decides we want to get rid of him. This is the conclusion from the people that have spiritual authority in that place. And he waits silently. They decide as a result of that to take him to Pilate. Now, Pilate's a fascinating guy. I don't know if you know much about Pilate. He was actually wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't living in Jerusalem. He was there because of the festival that was going on, the Passover festival. And so he, he came for that purpose. Not a nice guy. He's painted in okay light in this book. But remember, Mark's writing to Romans, and the, the, the leaders wouldn't have really appreciated being bagged out too heavily. So he's, he's telling the truth, but he's a little diplomatic about how he presents Pilate. Earlier than this, Pilate, and, and it becomes relevant in a minute, Pilate actually decided he was going to put up some Roman banners through, through Jerusalem. And the Roman rules and the, the Jewish rules was that that wasn't meant to happen. They were given some freedom in the place, and the Roman banners shouldn't have been there. So they sent a whole heap of people to where he lived to do a a quiet protest, and they were there for five days. And Pilate didn't like that idea, so he slaughtered them. That was his conclusion, was to slaughter all the people with a quiet protest at his house. So this is the kind of guy we're talking about. He wasn't a nice guy. In fact, he did last 10 years in in his position, but he was kicked out because he was too brutal. He was, he was dropped from his position because he was too brutal. And he did actually end up taking the banners down. So there was a little bit of concession there. But he was not, not a nice guy. And Jesus comes to him. And this time he's not asking. Pilate doesn't care so much about whether he's the son of God or not. He wants to know, is he the king of the Jews? Because that's what's important to Pilate. Is this, is this guy the king of these people? Is he a threat to Rome? And in that space, again, what's Jesus' response? Silence. He still responds in a place of silence. So now we have not only the spiritual leaders, but the leaders of the whole country have put him into in a place of accusation, have have challenged him, and he still stood silent. And Pilate says, Don't you know what the accusations they're making against you are? You're not going to speak we find out that he was amazed. Pilate was amazed. We then, again, it's only, only we find out in Luke, but he actually gets sent to Herod um, Antipas. Herod and Pilate became friends here because they agreed that they didn't like Jesus. So they didn't agree on a lot, but they, they agreed on one thing, and that was that they didn't like Jesus. And he's, Jesus is questioned again by Herod, and again he's silent. And then uh, he goes back to Pilate and um, Pilate offers because he realizes that, that there's, this is actually just the high priests that, are, that have got a beef against Jesus. So he says, he says there's a way out here. Remember that we've, he's had not very good scenario with the crowds in the past. He's a bit sensitive to crowds now. So he offers the crowds a way out. 
and says, do you want to release this guy? I can release somebody. That's my power. It's a festival. Let's release somebody. Um, let's release Jesus. And the chief priests stir up the crowd and say, no, no, let's release a criminal instead, someone who's known as a criminal. So now we've got the crowds batting for a criminal over Jesus, a guy that's done nothing wrong, and even the crowds which he has invested so much of his ministry into have now said, we prefer a criminal. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll release Barabbas. And he condemns Jesus to death. Part of the crucifixion process is to to be flogged. Flogging was a way of shortening the crucifixion process. Crucifixion took maybe three, four days. But to make it a little bit shorter, they, they flogged them. They wore them out first. But in this case, they didn't just do that. They, uh, I forget the wording they use. There's 600 soldiers. That's, that's the terminology for the Roman group of people that were at this place. 600 soldiers were there, part of this mock, this, this flogging where they mocked him as a king, where they put a, a royal bit of cloth, purple cloth, and a crown on his head and mocked him. So we've now reached the power of the army mocking him, and he still puts up with it. He still takes this on. He's taken to Golgotha, and he doesn't have the energy even to carry his crossbeam. So a guy from Cyrene has to carry it for him. This is how worn out he is by this point. And then we see at 9 o'clock in the morning, he's actually crucified. Now, crucifixion, as was mentioned last week, was a very, very humiliating way of dying. It was deliberately done publicly. It was often beside the road so that people could walk past for three days watching someone die because they deserved it. They deserved to be seen that way. Earlier, two disciples were arguing about who was going to be on the right and left of Jesus' side when he was in glory. And we have the irony of a picture of two criminals beside Jesus in this place. And still, he's naked. He's obviously in a lot of pain, but Mark's very sensitive about that. Mark doesn't want us to focus on the gore of this story. There's many times where he could have given a lot more detail about the whipping process, about about what it would be to crucify, but he doesn't focus on that. This is about shame. This is about humiliation. This is about the level that Jesus was prepared to go to to demonstrate what love looks like. This was the level that Jesus chose to go to. Everything here he chose. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about someone who said, not my will, Lord, but yours. This is profound. This is not what we think love looks like. To give up everything that he had, his titles, everything. They're even casting lots over his clothes in front of him the last thing that he's got left. Everyone else has deserted him, mind you, not some of the women. Can I say that? And that's really significant. We've got some amazing warrior women that don't give up in this place, and that's, that is really significant. There were some women that stood by him. People passed by mocking him. 
The chief priests had another go while he was on there. Even the guys next to him mocked him. Criminals that were also being crucified felt like they had a position to be able to, to have a go at him. We often think risk is, is investing in something that we get to see a, a reward for. So if I prepare a meal for someone, that'll bless them. Um, that's, that's small risk, small return. Yeah, that's, there's a bit of risk in there there because I don't know. Just think about the risk that he gave up from his position, everything about his status, everything that he had, everything that he claimed was who he was, he let go of at this point. And what were his last words? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The one last thing that he had when everything was taken away, he wasn't even sure he had that anymore. This is a very confronting story. And we hear it, as Rachel said, we hear this story frequently. And sometimes we let it pass us by. But I've been really overwhelmed this week by this story, by the risk that he went to, to communicate to us. If you think about what he was doing it for, what in your mind was the value of this? We've talked about courage being facing things that are, that are scary for a value. We've talked about risk being something that you can, you can gain or lose something of value. What was the value in this? Us. Did he know that you were going to agree to accept him when he did this? High risk. To give up everything that you had, all your power and authority, everything, your friends, the spiritual leaders, the Roman rulers, even the crowds, your clothes, possibly even God your Father. He risked all of that in the hope, the value, that we would have an opportunity that we didn't have before then. That's what love looks like. That is what love looks like. That's not how I respond to most of those circumstances. When I'm feeling lonely, I feel betrayed. I feel ripped off. When I'm feeling like, clothes are not my thing, so that's a bad example, but there's something that I want that I can't have, I kind of, I feel like that's not fair. When someone accuses me of something that I haven't done, I feel that sense of injustice. It's not fair. I need to fight for that, for me. And yet this love completely turns that on its head and says love is giving with risk when you don't know what the return is, when you don't know if it's actually going to be received or not, when you don't know the outcome. And at this point, Jesus doesn't know whether you and I are going to acknowledge him or not. Because everything around him was telling the opposite. What are the crowds saying? What are, the, what are the leaders saying? Everyone around him was rejecting him. But the whole value of him doing this was so that people would know, that he, he would be glorified, but so that people would know the Father. It's an amazing concept. And it's something that I think we struggle with culturally. I think we struggle with what's mine and what's his. 
I think we struggle with what we need to, to do to show love. It's not need to, what we, what we want to. It's really easy to sing songs about love. I do anything for love. Yeah? Hey, come out of the word so easy. But when we see this picture that Jesus paints of what love looks like, it's not so easy anymore. What were the three things we needed to take away this morning? First one, Jesus took risk and courage to be blown away by the risk and the courage that Jesus did to step into this space. The second thing was that that risk and courage is not what we look at when we see risk and courage. It's a different sort of risk and it's a different sort of courage. And the third thing, he actually calls us to follow. Those passages about taking up our cross, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He's not just doing this to free us. He's doing this as a demonstration. And that's really hard for us to take. Culturally, we want comfort. We want security. We want peace. And we don't like when things don't go our way. And he's flipped this upside down and actually said everything that he deserved and he owned and was his already, he let go of so that people would know love. I'm going to finish by reading the passage. And I'll just really encourage you just to sit there. If you like reading along, do so, but don't feel like you have to. But I'm just going to read this passage to, to finish because I think it speaks for itself. And, and I think as you hear it, you'll hear the profound risk and sacrifice that Jesus gave to show us what love looks like, to bring the thing that he valued most, obedience to the Father, and for, for the opportunity for us to know the Father and for us to see what following Christ looks like. So I'm just going to start, and we're going to finish at um, verse 39. There's one more thing that I just want to share before I do that, and that is um, where we're at as a church. Because I really do believe that God is calling us. We've been looking at Mark for a reason. Um, it's not an accident that God's got us looking at Mark. And yes, it is confronting and challenging, but he's brought us together as a community to journey this together with intention. Often people who take risks and, and do courageous things are looked at as, as crazy. And to be honest, I look at those video clips of people doing amazing marks and think they're crazy. But that's because I don't see the value in what they're doing. I think they're amazing. They're spectacular. But I guess the idea of winning a football game doesn't inspire me. But as a church, the idea of having an impact in this community, of spurring each other on to be God's salt and light in this community, is something I value and is something I'm prepared to make sacrifice for. I'm prepared to take risk and be courageous in. And yet there's part of me that still doesn't, isn't sure whether I can do that. And that's why we've been brought together. Because each of us have different things that we bring to spur one another on. And as you, as you are challenged, encouraged, inspired to persevere with the hope that Jesus has given us, I'd really encourage you to, to think about what you can bring in that space to encourage the body. How can we be more courageous as a body? How can we believe more of what God wants for us 
And how can we have a greater impact? What is it that God wants us to be doing? What is it that he wants me to be doing? Let's read Mark 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each one would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross and that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sakabathani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then some of those standing near heard this. They said, listen, 
is calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this was the Son of God. This is the first time this has been declared in the book of Mark by someone other than Jesus or Mark. The centurion was the guy in charge of the team of four that were executing him. A Roman, not a Jew. The first person to declare who Jesus truly was was the man standing in front of him who had nothing to gain or to lose. But he recognized what love looked like. He recognized something amazing about this man before him. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal chapter that we do not do justice to. And I don't think we even comprehend completely. Yet for me, the demonstration of what this amazing man has done, this amazing son of God has done for us is phenomenal. Oh Lord, you are amazing. When we see what you let go of, Father, what we saw you hand over, we are blown away. Lord, you talked so much in your life about what it looked like, the new kingdom you were bringing. Yet all we wanted was a miracle, something impressive to look at, healing. And yet in this moment, Lord, you showed us the most amazing miracle, the sacrifice of love. Jesus, we want to start by saying we thank you. Lord, we're sorry for letting this slip us by. For not being overwhelmed. But we are so thankful that you made that choice, that you took that risk for us. Lord, we don't want to take that lightly. We acknowledge that risk was high. And Lord, we want to respond by taking that risk ourselves. 
by loving others, Father. And we can't do that without you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to, to renew our hearts, Lord God. Renew our minds. Help us see the way you see. Help us believe the way you believed. Lord, you were there because of the joy that was set before you. Help us see that joy, Father. Help us see that that hope that we have, Lord God. Help us look beyond the sacrifice and the price and the challenge and the persecution, Lord, and see the joy and the hope that you see. Thank you so much.